still do not understand what is wrong with people and why someone decided, and not just someone, thousands and millions of people decided, yeah, yeah, we should live on the surface of the sun. <laughs> we because like it here. That's it's what warm. it is here. <laughs> that is what this summer is. It's it's 109 tomorrow. I don't I don't even know how to react to that. Yeah, I feel like you could talk to people like in Phoenix or whatever and they'd be like 109. That's sweater weather. I don't think so. I think <laughs> at that point 109 is hot regardless. No, it is really hot and I feel like that is hotter than a lot of Julys have been in my time here in Austin, but I will say August is the hottest month, so we're almost there. I know. It's kind of. Not... It's only July, but we're almost to August. Uh, I have never felt 109 degrees in my life. I just realized that there's a possibility that this will be posted in August, so, I mean, whatever. It's hot. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be hot then, too. It will be hot then, too, because we're just getting close. Anyway, whatever. Sorry. Yes, it's hot. It's... I want to die. It's hot, and it's what everyone's talking about. Mm-hmm. It's it's the new cool thing. It's the new really cool not. Kid on the block. It's it's the typical um, banter of we don't really know each other, so let's have some small talk, and we're going to talk about how hot it is. Also, it's a way to cover like if you kind of smell a little bit, you just talk sure. about how hot it is, and because everybody kind of smells a little bit in Austin when it's this hot. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I say as I check and yep smell a little bit yeah just a bit <laughs> no it's... i just got out of the shower you jerk <laughs> oh sorry it's oh, hot man anyways hello everyone hello welcome to episode 13 of blood and wine yes. uh, my name is Brittany. i'm tyler and i hope y'all are having a great day uh listening to this yeah and don't forget we are on patreon yes we... We recently posted some more of our murder minis. So. Oh, and we do want to call out our first Patreoner, Sydney. We love you. You're amazing. Thank yes. you for supporting us. She's a part of the Chardonnay Syndicate, I believe. Uh, yes. Oh. We'll have to double check, but thank you, Sid. We love you very much, and your support means the world. It does. You're, so. We're this much closer to getting Brittany a real chair. That much closer. That much closer. <laughs> and so, also better sound equipment. But, you know, impossible merch. But. Possible merch. I really, I really want to do merch. Like, this is something oh, I'm really same. excited about doing. So, um, if y'all are to help us, you know, show your excitement by signing up to our Patreon, not only would you then have the opportunity for merch, because we can make it. Yeah. But, again, there are murder minis on there, which are... Very similar to our episodes, except for the fact that we are drunker because yeah, yeah. we record them after yes. these episodes. And they're little snippets, so they're not as long, but we we pick those cases that they don't have enough in them to be an entire episode. Yeah. And so they're still great, still the st same great content, so those are for... <laughs> <laughs> great content. I, we think it's great content. Hope y'all do, too. <laughs> But yeah, yeah. Hope y'all do too. But those are only for our Patreon supporters, and that's yes. something that we give to you. Also, other surprises along the way. We're coming mm -hmm. up with fun ideas, um, yeah. more I for Patreon. So, mm -hmm. so I know 
one thing we did have on it as well, um, the sangria recipe, like the actual step-by-step -step recipe. With pictures. Mm -hmm. Pictures with, did we have boomerang video of it? No, because I couldn't put the video on Patreon. Oh, Patreon, goddamn you. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, so y'all get fun little, little tidbits and all that stuff. And it's definitely a great avenue uh, to talk to y'all. I mean, if y'all have ideas. Yeah. If, I mean, when we start doing merch in the future, if there's something that y'all really want. Um, if there are, I don't know, different ideas for episodes or wines or just, you know, let us know. Definitely. Start a conversation with us. Um, also wanted to let you know that we, again, are on iTunes, Google Play, and now Stitcher. Yes, we are on um, Stitcher. So for those that use Stitcher to find your podcast, search for us on there now. You can find us there. Make sure to subscribe. That way you are up to date on all of our new episodes coming out. Yep, every Tuesday. Um, and then if you subscribe to our social media channels, then you are up to date with all of the, just the news and stuff going on. We were on what Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We we got it all. <laughs> yeah, and also of course SoundCloud. I don't think you mentioned SoundCloud. Oh, I did. But we're always on SoundCloud. Always on SoundCloud. So yeah. Um. So I know we talked about, we have a little bit of a recommendation oh for this God, episode. Yes. So I want you to jump into that because I want to talk to you about it. Okay. So very recently, and I'd heard about this show a couple, maybe a couple months ago. Yeah, same. Um, But was like, okay, cool. And then Emmy nominations came out. Yep. And I was like, oh shit. Okay, well, I need to watch this. So the show is Killing Eve mm -hmm. on BBC America. So it stars Sandra O. Oh. Um, she works for MI6, MI5. Yeah, she's on MI5, yeah. Um, in London. Mm -hmm. And it just goes her, goes along with her and her team tracking this, uh, female serial killer. Assassin. Yeah. Yeah. And just. She's killing like all these like really high political people. Yeah. All around Europe. It's. Oh my god, it's so good. It's I'm, so good. As y'all know, I'm not a big TV or movie person. I'm really not. I know, so getting this we, recommendation from you is kind of big. Yeah, we <laughs> binged this for... Well, we binged six episodes yesterday. Yeah. Um, there's eight episodes in the first season, so it's pretty quick binge. And we are literally going to watch the last two today. Yeah, after we finish <laughs> uh, recording this, we hop it back into Kill and Eve. Yeah, so y'all should know, we paused our binging, which you know how hard it is to stop a binge, Yeah. Um, to record this. So just hope you feel just, special. You should feel loved because... <laughs> but this show's so good. It's and so good. Sandra O oh is an amazing actress. I love her. Well, all of the acting in this show is wonderful. It's so good. And the um the main I I guess the assassin Villanelle, she the actress that does it, she's 25. I think she's like 2 months older than me, the yeah. actress. And that made you cry a little bit when you found that out? A little bit. A little yeah. bit. Yeah. Um but she is like Killing it with the accents. Her acting is like impeccable. It's so good. Also, Rotten Tomatoes gave it like ninety seven percent, so you know it's good. Because mm -hmm. Rotten mm -hmm. Tomatoes are stingy as fuck. With They're their ratings. harsh. They are. What is it? You told me what Titanic has like fifty percent rating. It's like yeah, it's like fifty percent or Which something. I just can't disagree with that more. No, I I understand it not being a hundred, 
But, like, come on, 85%? Come on. I know. So... Whatever. But be sure to watch Killing Eve. I mean, I really love Sandra Oh from Grey's Anatomy, and she's fantastic in Grey's, but I feel like her seeing her in a lead role in Killing Eve, she's just able to take it to that next level. Absolutely. She is so talented. So talented. The whole show really kind of subverts the genre, because so many... uh, it's, it's when you describe it it's kind of like oh it's a police procedural like okay cool right. that's typical there's a thousand other shows like that yeah but it's so different and i think really one of the biggest parts is like the women take the lead and they're so complex there's so many layers you know they're written like real people mm-hmm. which you don't get a lot in a lot of these police procedurals you get well-written men and then you know their girlfriends at home that are scared right it's great to see like some very powerful highly intelligent women Mm -hmm. being showcased in this show and not again being the backup characters yeah um, which happens all too often um absolutely i feel like in a lot of police procedurals there's um the main characters are men yeah i mean not in law and order though because and i can't remember her name yeah, but I feel like, granted, I've seen a couple episodes of Law & Order, not enough to know whatever the plot is. Oh, Law & Order is wonderful, and you can just pick up anywhere. Well, exactly, but I don't know if, like, the how the characters develop and stuff. Okay, I don't, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, okay, I've cool. never watched it from, like, season one to season, like, 100 yeah. is what they're on now or something. But I feel like it shows, like, that shows, like, Bones, when they do have, like, a female co-lead. It's yeah. always, ooh, what's the sexual tension between the two or whatever? And I'm like, I don't care. It's definitely the fact in Bones for sure. Absolutely. Which I still never, I still haven't finished Bones, so don't don't spoil that for me. I don't want to spoil anything. Don't take it away. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> um, but yes, Killing Eve, check it out. When are the Emmys? Um, oh, I have no idea, actually. I don't either. Uh, I November? To... I feel like November. That far out? November's not that far out. Please November's in like three me. months. Please don't say that because that means like Thanksgiving, Christmas, end of year. It's Oof, all this time off from work that I don't get paid for. I'm going to get older. Oh, I mean, yeah, your birthday is coming up like fast. It's coming up really fast. It's like five weeks away. Six. Yeah. I cannot believe that you are turning 141. No, it's, you know, but I will say my skin is very supple for 140 and 141 is going to be a great year. Yeah, no, I think, um, I think you've done a lot in your long, long life. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's time to die at this point though. I think you're really (laughs) like, just, just go. I mean, I've got the Guinness record. I'm going to kill it even more. Yeah. See, it's kind of like when you're watching a football game that's like OU versus like state college tech and the score is like 114 to 7. <laughs> you need just stop. Like just stop. We get it. OU's got like their third string QB in just to give them some playing time because like, at that point well, no, but there's no way to fuck up. When the teams <laughs> don't do that, when they're like, nah, we're going to run first string. We're going to get these touchdowns. We're, we're going to kill That's the way you get your first string QB injured. 
And then it's not yeah. even worth it because it gets injured in the game that you were clearly you gonna win. You are stealing my metaphor. I'm sorry. <laughs> and it's a simile. I anyway, got really I'm, intense about what you're talking about because I have feelings. I know, but I'm just saying <laughs> it's like when you're watching a football game between a powerhouse and a nobody, and the powerhouse just doesn't let up, and it's like just let them have this. Hence, stop being 140. Okay, that's where I was going with that. All right. Well, Anyways. on that note, I'm ready to jump into the topic for this week. Okay, tell me. What so, is... Well, I know this week's time. Again, we always... Do, it's like, what is like it? Don't know. So, last week, I lost again. Mm-hmm. Um, hoping I can redeem myself, and we'll see. we'll see. But this week's topic is mommy issues. Mm. And where I'm going with this, there are... A lot of killers out there that I've read about that their upbringing highly impacts oh, absolutely. what they end up doing and, and their killing. And so for this episode, we're going to be focusing on a couple of killers who had major issues with their moms, whether it be growing up mm-hmm. or, or whatnot. We'll dive into it. Yeah. But it's one of those things that it's this psychological manifestation in their minds that they attach to their mothers, mm-hmm. and then they take it out on um, some very innocent victims. Yeah, well, and I think it's important to note that there are a lot of killers out there who did have parent issues, but that may not be associated with why they're killing. Right. But right. I think it's important, like, at least in my case, and I'm sure yours does too, yeah. highlights that, like, now this, like, directly led into it. Yes, yes. And that's that's the exact topic that I'm going into today, that we're going right. into today. Yes, it is. So, so before now... we get into that, let's get into this wine. Let's get in. Tell me about the wine that you picked. So... Because I'm looking at this bottle, and it's, it's one of those bottles that... It's very unassuming. Like, it's mm-hmm. simple. Um, all right. It's, I'll let you go into it. It's very simple. It's an Italian wine from Trader Joe's. It is the... Epi- I thought you were about to tell me where in Italy, but you're like, <laughs> it's an Italian wine from Trader Joe's. Nope, nope. Just time off Trader Joe's. Okay. I don't know where in Italy it's from. <laughs> um, but it is the Epicurio Aglianico Beneventano. Which, I think that was pretty good. Yeah, that's what that there's my Italian for the day. Um, so this one's actually a Trader Joe's exclusive, which is why trying to find and I think this is an issue we've had with other wines, but this one is confirmed a Trader Joe's exclusive, okay. which is why I'm not able to really find a ton of info on the vineyard. Yeah, and I think that's probably why we've had some issues in the past, but it wasn't like. We didn't see, like, oh, this is a Trader Joe's exclusive, that's why. It just was like, this vineyard is apparently non-existent. Well, I think it's, especially in the price range that we are shopping in, Mm -hmm. this is why we're coming across potentially a lot of these Trader Joe's exclusive wines. But there are so many wine options at Trader Joe's that... I'm not ready for us to go somewhere else yet. Uh, we same. haven't gone through them all. No, no it I mean, we still same. have HEB. We did have that one episode where we did get a wine from HEB. We did. Um, the one. <laughs> the one, one episode. Um, the one out of 13, but that's fine. That but was a great one. Trader Joe's has such a great selection. Also, it's where we do our grocery shopping, so. Yep, yep. 
Um, Maybe one of these days we'll go to Specs or like Total Wine or something like that. There's a lot of places around here. I know. We'll see. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, getting into this wine. Yes. The appearance is a very deep purple, like almost black. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, this is going to be a teeth stainer. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have some of those little like wine wipes that you can... What the hell is a wine wipe? So, um... Is it like a crest strip, like... No, no, Rip, no. slip, brush, ah. No, no, no. It's not one of those. Those are pretty cool, though. That, like, to-go toothbrushes. Yeah. It's literally... So, you know when you get those um, hand-cleaning things after you eat wings? Yeah. It's something like that, but for your teeth, for red wine, for when you go out. Oh. Which is something that, like, would be great to have handy when you're on a date and you don't want red wine lips and teeth. It's a thing. You no. know it's a thing. Oh, I know it is. Because I always just go to the bathroom and, like, swish with water. And it, like, kind of helps, I guess. But not really. Yeah. Anyway. But, so, sorry. So, uh, the nose of this wine is blueberry and pomegranate juice. Interesting. Um, its palate is described as medium-bodied and fruity. But with a little chewiness to hold everything together. No idea what the fuck chewiness means. I think it means it's like a thicker wine. Heavier on the tongue. We'll see. But light cherry juice, blueberries, white mulberry, plum, a touch of leather, and persistent with a balsamic sensation. I'm really interested to see what that tastes like. I know. Like, like ba- it sounds good, but I'm like, balsamic sensation? What does I know. that even mean? The rest of it, I'm like, okay, fruity, medium-bodied, touch of leather. Like, yeah, I know what that would... But the balsamic, I'm like, so is this going to be like a sharp kind of taste? Like, oh. is it going to have like almost those sweet notes, but like the syrupy? I don't know. I don't either. Uh, but then it finishes medium dry with toasted oak, vanilla, and clove. Oh my god, this wine sounds good. I know. So also, it was what six dollars? Uh, yeah, it was five ninety nine. I think yes. because that's how we do this. Yep. And Tyler's going to very carefully not spill this super super dark red wine on my couch. I'm going to need you to move your foot then. Um. So. You'll see the picture on our Instagram, but we're using some fun glasses today. I, um, one of the things that I love doing, I love going to different thrift shops and vintage stores, or even just like, honestly, Goodwill is amazing. You can find so many great, you need to let the wings go. What are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. Um, wine openers are confusing. But anyway, so we've got you two... You let the wings go. <laughs> you let them go and be free. Do what they need. Well, you were holding them down and it was going to was gonna hold you back from getting this wine. Oh, the well, cork split. Probably because you totally fucked it up. Okay. <laughs> I don't need your sass right now. I'm trying to get us wine. I know. Um, but back to these cups because they're really, really pretty. There's one, <laughs> so we've got a bit of a cork mishap. Um, I'll keep talking about the cups. <laughs> Look that. at this cork, though. This is not my fault. Wow, it's in like three pieces. All right, so cork malfunction. There's one pink glass. There's one that's like this red to orange to yellow kind of ombre cool glass style. Well, that's too bad. That cork was pretty. All right, well, look at thing. This why we have two bottles. Yeah. I know, because I want to keep this one for us. Um, it has, like, the globe on it. Like, the world. It's pretty cool. So, we'll get out this last little p- 
piece of it. There we go. Really? That is what wouldn't come out? Fuck you. It's like... It's like... Half an inch. Of, yeah. Well, maybe three-fourths. No. It's like half an inch. Look at that. That's yeah, tiny. That's hilarious. Nonsense. <laughs> it just broke off. Oh, it's planet-friendly. Planet-friendly wine. Oh! It's, so it's probably not real cork, which would explain... Why it broke. Why it broke. But you know what? If it's helping save the planet, I'm cool with it. I'm totally cool with it. Oh, wow. This is really dark. Which, so speaking of saving the planet, one thing I really want to say, did you see how Starbucks, I believe it was by 2020, they're going to get rid of straws? Yes, I did. But one thing to note, they do have the sip lids that you can request on any yeah, of your you can get drinks. that now yeah. and not have to get a straw my have you seen because and maybe this is because i don't carry a purse or a bag with me but i know like the reusable straws have become very big yeah like the metal ones mm -hmm. and stuff and then a lot of them come because my two concerns with them was one am i just gonna have that in my pocket like always <laughs> just in my pocket what i guess and for then, men that is Here's the thing. That. And also, how is it going to be cleaned on the inside? Like, that could be real gross. But a lot of them come with those, like, little mini brushes. Yeah. Also, literally pipe cleaners. That is what they're for. So, I'm like, that's oh interesting. But I don't Light bulb have... just went off as to what a literal pipe cleaner is for. But, but they come in fun colors pipe. for crafts. It's true. But <laughs> at my office at work, all of our coffee cups, lids sleeves and then even our like plastic cups uh lids and straws are all compostable because they're like yeah cellulose based plastic huh. so i'm like oh that's cool yeah and then we have compost bins at work obviously yeah we have compostable stuff but it's Which really... is so cool just so cool like i i was telling tyler earlier yesterday i think how much i wish our apartment complex had the compost oh God, ability or that I had a yard where I could do my own compost. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just don't. Well, cause in Seattle, it's illegal not to compost. And I may have mentioned this before already, or maybe just mentioned in conversation, but yeah. it's illegal not to compost. And the, the way it's done, it's also ever, they have a very strong awareness campaign uh -huh. of like what you can compost, what you can Smart. recycle. And also, when you buy stuff throughout in the city, like plastic bags are banned in the city. They do a lot of paper bags. Well, there's no bags. there's no plastic bags in Austin. Yeah, it's only paper. Um, but what winds up happening is that you wind up taking out your actual trash can, maybe like once every three weeks. Like you never have trash to take out because everything you can recycle or compost more or less which i feel like is ideal mm -hmm. that that's where we want to be yeah absolutely all right absolutely so let's <sighs> get into to this world one. cheers to earth i'm gonna smell it first hmm. i smell that plum mm -hmm. very plummy okay that's good i see i think i see what it means by the balsamic it's like a little, it has a little bit of like acidity. It does, and it's at the end. I'm gonna have to let mine breathe a little bit more because I think mm -hmm. then I'll be able to taste more of that leather that you I think talked I about. I gave you a little more than me. The clove. I mean, dude, don't even worry about it. We'll we'll drink plenty. It's fine. Yeah, because right now I'm getting mostly fruits. I'm not getting a lot of the leather or oak, really. I feel like I smell the leather. 
It's good. I'm I'm a fan. Now, the interesting thing about this one is when I was reading reviews and you know reading up on the wine, this brand, the Epicuro, uh-huh. has a lot of different wines. We actually bought like four of them. Um, we different did. We did types. This and this is was the actually one. this was apparently one of the like their least favorites of all of their different wines. So oh. I'm a fan of this one. I'd be interested to see what. What the other ones taste like. This is $6. I'm cool with it. Yeah. Well, and I was telling you, there's also... I mean, I'll talk about this one because I don't think I'll feature it. And if I do, I'll tell you all more information. But Mm. the the, uh, Griffon, there's a Primitivo and a Sangiovese. They're $5 bottles. I get them all the time. They're they're two of my go-tos. If I I need a cheap wine and I want something that's not um, like a Pinot Noir or... um, Mm. A cab or a zen, mm-hmm. I, I go to those. I really like Italian wine too. Yeah. My go-to wine um, for a long time has been um, like yeah, Tubuck Chuck or their Shaw, but the Columbia Crest Cab, so good. And it's fortunately Trader Joe's doesn't carry it, but it's six seven dollars usually. At yeah, we get H-E-B. it at ATB, mm-hmm. and it's so good. It's like one of my favorite cabs. Well, I think you are starting us off this week. Yes. I am very interested to hear about who you picked. Because there okay. I know like a handful of people mm-hmm. that I would think of for this category. So See, I would do my research. This was one where I knew of a couple, um, but not really. Uh so this might be someone you know of. It's someone I've never heard of. My killer is Henry Lee Lucas. Okay. The name rings a bell, but if you ask me, like, right now, mm-hmm. with a gun to my head, if I could tell you what he did, I couldn't. Okay. Good. So, um... <laughs> so, my sources were thelineup.com, crimeviral.com. Um, originally, I found this list from a Ranker article, actually. Love Ranker. Um, and then Wikipedia had a lot of great info. Nice. So, Henry was born in Blacksburg, Virginia on August 23rd of 1936. Okay. So, probably, I mean, a while ago, 80 years. Oh my god, 82 years ago. Wow. That's so weird to think about that, like, the, uh, that in two years, 1940 will be 80 years ago. Oh my god. Yeah. Woo! Because I, I, I'm i always of the mindset that 1940 was 60 years ago. Like, that's just where my brain lives. It, well, your brain lives in 2000, like a lot of us, and it's got to... Can you believe it's about to be 2020? No. Like, doesn't that sound like... The future? I mean, it is. It is, but I get but what like, you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> it no. does. It feels so far out there, and the fact that I'm sitting here and I'm like, huh... I could totally be alive in 2040. I mean, I hope so. <laughs> I know. How old would I be then? You'd be like... 60? 53. Oh my god. Okay. Also, clearly, math is not my strong suit. Yeah. That's so young! Oh god. I'm scared of life. Okay. Alright. Oh, I think about it. Like, I'll see things like, the next time the comet comes is 2071. And I'm like, oh god, I'll be long dead. Then I was like... <laughs> Actually, no, maybe not. <laughs> I'll, I'll be like 
I mean, I'll be old, but like 80. <laughs> I'll be like 78. You're going to fucking see that comet. I, I Whichever guess. one it is. You're actually. I think you're it's like, Haley's comet. You're like, like that's what comes back. You, know, I just, you know what's going to fucking happen? It's going to be cloudy. Because that's what always happens when I try to go see something cool like that. It is fucking cloudy or it is raining. I will say. Or it just, I live somewhere where I can't see it. So when the eclipse happened um, last August, yeah. so I guess a year ago now, um, I worked from home that morning because it was not passing through Washington, but it was passing through like the middle of Oregon. Yeah. So we got to see like 93% of oh the my eclipse. God. And I went up to my rooftop um, my par- at my apartment and it was like, I think 11 a.m. or something. Yeah. And it was me and like 15 of my neighbors. And there were two pairs of eclipse glasses because that's all in, like, the city was sold out. Um, same, Austin was too. Uh, and so everyone, like, we would pass them around and everyone would, like, look at it for a couple seconds and pass them around. Um, and then, you know, like, it was cool. You can't see much with the naked eye. Like, I was thinking, oh, 93% of the sun's going to be covered. It's going to get darker here. No, not really. The shade is darker. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, but it got colder. I mean, it. that Weird. was the weirdest thing, is it dropped noticeably probably like 10 degrees in, you know, a couple minutes because the sun got covered up. And then huh. when the moon left, it heated back up. But these are so cool. I love space things. Me too. But the 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 really cool thing, so we watched it, we were up there for like ten minutes, and I was like, okay, I need to get to work. Yeah. So I was like, you know, grab my stuff, walked out of the building, was walking to my bus stop, and on the ground, the way the shadows filtered through the leaves. Yes, that was all of so the eclipse, cool. Little eclipses on the ground in the shadow. And I was like, holy shit. That was one of my favorite okay. things seeing that. Because I think here in Austin, we only got 30 to 40% coverage. Like, it wasn't a ton. Oh, yeah, because it passed through, like, Kansas or Missouri or, like, up north. Yeah, Missouri was, like, the line. So, we still got to see some of it. It was still really cool. There was also, even even with just that little bit, Mm -hmm. there the city was sold out of the glasses as well. So, we did the same thing of passing around a few pair. And um, I was at work that day. We have a great patio at work, like mm-hmm. patio balcony thing. And so we all went out there and we're passing around the glasses. And I kind of got a photo on my phone. You can't really tell. Um, but seeing the shadow yeah. of all the little eclipses was so cool. That was cool. My friend, um, my coworker, drove down to Oregon. Because the thing is, to get to, like, the totality where, like, the sun was blocked out completely, it went dark. Um normally like three hour drive three four hour drive is south of portland like not too bad um he was on the road for like 17 hours the day before because of so much traffic Mm -hmm. he made it to portland and was like i'm i'm not gonna make it i'm cool with this um and like turned around and came back he had a friend in portland they stayed at their place and they watched it and I, like, didn't get to see the totality. I think Portland, it was, like, 98% coverage or something, but... Wow. Um, really cool. Don't know how we got on that subject. Haley's comment. Oh, because old... Is, yeah. Yeah. Any. You know. So, tangents. anyway. Tangents. the way tangents happen. Yeah. Henry Lee Lucas, back to that. So, he was the youngest of his mom's nine children, 
and as a child a or a friend described him as a child as someone who would often get attention by like frighteningly strange behavior like, like what just acting out and stuff it didn't really go into much detail okay on that quote. so just like a kid acting kind of cray cray yeah so do you just, like how i showed my age there by saying cray cray yeah you did <laughs> i'm gonna gloss over it though <laughs> so in december 49 his father anderson um whose legs had been severed in a railroad accident like years before shit died of hypothermia after going home drunk and collapsing outside during a blizzard. So, like, the next morning they found Dad in the front yard frozen to death. Oh, my God. And, and how old was Henry? He was, um, like, 13. Yeah. Something like that. He was a young teen. Yeah. Oh, my uh, God. But he had a... His mother was very abusive and very controlling, Towards everyone in the family. Yeah. Like, abusive to him, very abusive towards his father. Um, and she was, like, twisted. Her name was Viola Davis, not um, not our Viola Davis. Not our Viola Davis that <laughs> I, we love. I don't think it's the same person. I don't think the age matches up. I'd have to do more research, <laughs> but I, I'm pretty sure it's not the same <laughs> Viola Davis, who is star of such movies as... Uh, the help and shows like how to get away with murder. So Viola Davis never. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I'm picturing her in my head now. So. Same, yeah. But if they did a movie, then I mean, clearly, she I needs mean, to yeah. play this role. Yeah, we'll we'll see. Well, well, maybe not. Go. Um, so she never allowed her son to express emotion and even banned him from crying at his own father's funeral. Okay, yeah. I have so many feelings about that, but I mm-hmm. don't want to go into this tangent. So, so. His, his mom would often beat him so badly that he would end up in the hospital, and she often forced him to dress like a girl. Wait, but he couldn't cry? hmm Yeah, very strange. Like, she was really fucked up. Clearly. Yep. So, she was super neglectful of Henry's health, and when he injured his eye in a fight when he was, I believe, 10... She just ignored the injuries for three days, during which time it got infected and his eye had to be removed. Oh my god! Yeah. So, also, she uh, worked as a sex worker and would often force him and his siblings to watch as she sold her body to strangers in front of them. I cannot understand this type of treatment towards your kids. Like, Absolutely not. You can't cry. Which shows, like, makes me think you have to be masculine, but here wear a dress, which is like, I mean, whatever. I'm not against boys wearing dresses, but it's, that is so confusing for a kid. Yeah. Like, direction from their mom. And this is also the the 40s, so obviously Mm -hmm. a man wearing a dress is not acceptable. And then now, um, watching your mom do these things that you should never have to see your mother do. No. And her her being the one that forces you to, to yeah. watch and be there. And it's with a stranger. I have so many feelings. Oh, yeah. Like, oh. so it super, super fucked up relationship. So, like, pretty... Du- unsurprisingly, by the age of 10, Henry was an alcoholic. And by the time Fuck. he was a teenager, he was torturing animals and having sex with his half-brother. Oh. Yep. Wait, um, he has a half-brother? 
Well, he's the youngest of nine of his mother's children. Yeah. So they, like, he and his siblings have may have different fathers, some of them. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, he, okay. Yep. Oh, Henry. Yeah. So, according to him, when he was in his early teens, um, that was when he committed his first murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, he claimed that uh, when he was 14 or 15, he murdered 17-year-old Laura Burnsley when she denied his romantic advances. Uh, but Jeez. he later withdrew his confession. Oh, of course. And as we'll see later on, that does kind of become a pattern. Of, like, admitting and denying? Yeah. Okay. So, in 1954, so when he's, like, 18 or so, uh, he was sentenced to six years in prison for 12 counts of robbery. Oh. He escaped in 57, but was recaptured two days later and wound up being released in 59. It's always interesting to hear about people who escape from prison. Mm-hmm. Because, like, well, that was I, I watched that little Ted Bundy documentary. Mm-hmm. And one of these days, I know one of us is going to do him for a case. But there is a point where he escapes from prison. And it's kind of like, what the fuck? He escapes from prison and, like, goes to Florida. Well, it's one of those things I'm like, what do you think is going to happen next? Like, it's... There's so much you have to do. I mean, yeah, there's a black market if you want, like, a new identity, new social security card, all that stuff. But I feel like a lot of people that escape from prison probably don't have the resources or the network to get into that black market thing. And then it's like, what are... Yeah. Like, what's your plan? Granted, if you're on death row or you have life in prison, I mean, why not try to escape? Like, Um, what's the worst that could happen? You get sent back. Cool. You had a couple days of freedom. So I, I get it. Um, don't agree with it necessarily, but I get it. Well, one of my favorite movies that has to do with like someone escaping from yeah. prison is The Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. That movie is so good. It's one of my absolute favorites. It has Morgan Freeman in it, and I freaking love Morgan Freeman. But yeah. that movie is so good. And it that's is... one of the only times I've been like rooting for someone to break out of jail. Fair. It is, again, another movie. Never seen. Well, that one is a classic. You've got to put that I on know. your list. That I should, know. like... <laughs> everything should always go to the top. I know. That should go to the top. Stand By Me should go to the top. The Goonies should go to the top. I, You're embarrassing yourself. You might want to stop talking about all the things you haven't seen. But I, Yeah, I haven't <laughs> seen most of these. I haven't seen most movies, and I'm not alone in that. Most people have not seen most movies. I mean, there are a lot of movies in the world okay. that you seem to have only seen <clears throat> ones that... I don't know, aren't the ones everyone else has seen. Apparently so. Anyways, during his years in prison, he actually became engaged to a pen pal. Of course. This always happens. I always wonder, who are these women that are writing letters to dudes in prison? I have no idea. Do I need to start doing that? Is that how I'm going to find a husband? I mean, if he's hot, what's the problem? (laughs) Depends on what he's in jail for. Like, if it's, like, something like loitering... Also, get sent to jail for loitering. <laughs> or, like, you know, if he's, like, selling weed. Okay. Yeah, I would... I'd be like... We could I would totally that. write that dude a letter. Because I'd be like, I'm so sorry that this world is so fucked <laughs> up that you had this tiny little drug thing. It's fucking weed, which shouldn't even be a drug. shouldn't be illegal. Mm-hmm. And now you're in jail for it. But anyway. Anyway. Another tangent. Send a we dick don't. <laughs> Anyway, send... Send pics. 
And then he'd be like, I, I am in jail. I do not have a camera. And I'd be like, well, do you get conjugal visits? Oh, my God. <laughs> Anyways, so prior to his release. I maybe don't want to say that. Whatever. Prior to his release, he intended to find this pen pal and marry her. But his 74-year-old mother demanded that her newly freed son come care for her in her old age. Gotta come take care of your mama. Yeah. So... I was about to ask why she was so old, but I remember he's like nine of nine. Yeah. So on January 11th of 1960 in Tecumseh, Michigan, Uh Henry killed his mother during an argument... Oh, shit. um, ...regarding whether or not he should return home to her house to care for her as she grew older. So they were drinking. Yeah. Got in an argument, and she died. So he claimed that she struck him over the head with a broom, <sighs> at which point he stabbed her in the neck, um, and then he fled the scene, which I feel like, um, one, if this was like completely like removed from the history, someone hits you in the head with a broom, so you stab them in the <laughs> neck, is a little bit of an overkill. <laughs> However, response. However, An overkill. But yeah, you said no, it. I didn't. <laughs> However, um, you know, you have to add the history, and I'm like, ah, okay, I get it. I mean, people don't deserve to be murdered, obviously, but right, you know. Oh jeez. So he fled the scene, and he subsequently said, "All I remember was slapping her alongside the neck." But after I did that, I saw her fall and decided to grab her. But she fell to the floor, and when I went back to pick her up, I realized she was dead. Then I noticed that I had my knife in my hand, and she had been cut. So he describes this scene where he slaps her with a hand that's holding a knife, and then I guess tries to pick her up and stabs her, and she's dead. Yeah, I know. That's real weird. Yeah. So, turns out, she was not dead. When he fled. Oh, my God. Um, So his half-sister, Opal, uh, with whom he was staying at the time, returned later and discovered their mother alive in a pool of blood. So she... Yeah, she calls an ambulance, uh, but it was too late to save Viola's life. Um, And the official police report stated that she died of a heart attack that was precipitated by the assault. So she didn't die from bleeding huh. out she had a heart attack after being stabbed okay um so henry returned to virginia and then decided to drive back to michigan but was arrested in ohio on the michigan warrant for his mom's murder right so again he claimed to have killed her in self-defense but his claim was rejected and he was sentenced to between 20 and 40 years um, prison in Michigan yeah, for second-degree murder. Mm-hmm. However, after serving 10 years in prison, he was released in June of 1970 due to oh prison overcrowding. Oh, my God. Yep. Because oh. when the prison has too many people in it, the people convicted of murder are the ones that you're like, well, they should go. I know. That's why I'm just thinking. I'm like, yeah, yeah, murder. Let, yeah. let those guys out. Like, how many people are in there for nonviolent crimes um, and didn't get released part of this. Granted, didn't do any research into this specific overcrowding and release and all that, but right. 
for some strange reason, I just, I feel like he probably wouldn't have been released early if he hadn't been a white man, but maybe that's just reading too much into it. Uh Yeah. In 1971, the year after he gets, he's released from prison. Yeah. Um, he's convicted of attempting to kidnap three schoolgirls. Oh my god. Yeah. I know. The things that he's doing are like so... It's like he kills a teenager because she's like, nah, I don't want to be with you. He kills his mom because they're like, quote unquote, in a fight. And blah, blah, blah. Obviously, there were, I yeah. can see a lot more in that. And then now it's the three kids? Like, Jesus, yeah. he's all across the board. Oh, I know. And then before that... All over like, the board. You know, robbery. It's like... Wh- yeah. yeah. He's just... Doing whatever he yeah. feels like in the moment. Yeah. So while serving a five year sentence, he established a relationship with family friend. Oh yeah, whatever happened to the chick he was engaged with? Um, he had to break it off because he had to go take care of his sick mom. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So he had yeah. to he had to go take care of her, that's yeah. for sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so he establishes this relationship with this woman who's family friend and single mom, um, they'd written together in prison. Yeah. Oh, whoa, whoa. Um, so he had, like, pen pals all over the place, mm-hmm. cheating by pen. So, <laughs> odd. So they married in 1975 after his release, um, but he left two years later after his stepdaughter accused him of sexually abusing her. Hmm. Um, he then began moving between various relatives, and one got him a job in West Virginia, where he established a relationship that ended when his girlfriend's family confronted him about the abuse. Yeah. So he has a pattern of um, physical, emotional, and sexually abusing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he does. So soon he fell in I mean, with the... I mean, he was physically, emotionally, and sexually abused. Yes. So, so it... That's what he learned. Yeah. It not, did... I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying I, I see that yeah. that's his pattern. Absolutely. And I see why. Yeah. So soon he fell in with another drifter, mm-hmm. Otis Toole, oh. who is another serial killer. Um, oh. Yeah. He is. He is. So, did do too much research into him because there was a lot to this one. Um, yeah. But, interesting, they were involved. And they're, they are a little, they're pretty involved. Well, yeah. So, yeah. after meeting in Jacksonville, Florida, the pair became friends and lovers. Um, and some believed they even killed together while wandering across the U.S. Uh-huh. Eventually, he met Otis's niece, Frida Powell. And Frida and Henry also became lovers. And then eventually common law spouses. Oh. One thing to note at this with this though, she's like fifteen. Yeah, no. And that's... he's like forty six. Yeah. I was about to ask you how old she was because okay. Yep. Also, like he just was like, Otis, just kidding. I want your niece. Uh yeah. Jeez. And Otis is cool with it, I guess. Cause he's he's still around? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Okay. So, in 82, uh, Henry and Frida traveled to Ringgold, Texas, where they worked as hired hands for Kate Rich. Um, However, Rich soon accused them of cashing bad checks, so they relocated to a religious commune in Stoneburg, Texas, that was called the House of Prayer. Okay. 
All right. Sounds very Texas. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) So Frida really wanted to, like, return to Florida, get back there. And they fought over that a lot and fought about, like, what their next steps are going to be. Yeah. So it's believed at this point that Henry brutally killed Frida. Oh. Um, Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. So he took her out into an isolated field where he murdered and dismembered her. Mm. Um, Literally all across the fucking board. I know. I'm like, now it's dismembering and yeah. God. Um, So her remains have yet to be found. Um, They never were. He then returned to Ringgold where he convinced Kate Rich to come with him under the pretense of trying to search for Frida. Then he slaughtered her and concealed her body in a drainage pipe. So, again, although he would later retract his confessions for these two deaths, because he confessed to them, um, these two murders, Frida, Kate, and his mom, are the three deaths that he can be concretely linked to. Yeah. There's a shit ton more, though. So, he remained living in Texas, and then in 83 was taken into custody on an illegal weapons charge. Yeah. So while he was in custody, the floodgates opened, and he started confessing to hundreds and hundreds of murders. What? Um, And based on his confessions, authorities cleared over a thousand unsolved crimes. Wait, they cleared him? As in, like, the information he gave was correct and good enough, or... No, More they goes. just cleared him. They just cleared him. Because he confessed Because he can, yeah, and they probably didn't want to put the work in. Because, okay, yeah. so it makes it sound like he killed a thousand people, but whether he actually did, we don't know. Yeah, so although some of his claims were indeed credible, given the brutality that he'd shown in his most recent murders, yeah, a lot of his admissions were outlandish and contradicted themselves. Well, yeah, there you go. Um. In 85, a report from the Dallas Times-Herald calculated that he would have had to drive 11,000 miles in one month alone to commit all the murders that he's confessed to. So, obviously, he's lying about some. Clearly. But um, the media, however, remained critical of his claims and believed the authorities were taking advantage of his confessions in order to just indiscriminately clear cold cases. Yeah, that's They're like, exactly oh, what it sounds like. He he said he did this? Cool. Sign it off. Next. I know, it's just like fucking checking a box is what this sounds like. Yeah. So That late... is so, that is not justice. Oh, absolutely not. For absolutely those families. Not. So he would later retract many of these initial confessions and he actually did give a couple statements on why he was doing it, why he was saying all these confessions. And it, yeah. The horrible part is, I get it. Like, it makes a lot of sense. Because he said that his confessions gave him freedoms as a prisoner that he otherwise never would have had. So, for instance, during the long journeys to the various crime scenes, he was unrestrained. He was allowed to order meals from fast food restaurants. <laughs> and he could even walk freely through police stations at some of these stops. And this, this is what kills me in how we treat a lot of people in the criminal justice system Uh is someone's highlight, like something they look forward to so much can be literally ordering a burger from McDonald's. Like that's all they want to do. 
And I understand that, like, people do crimes. They need to be punished. They need to be rehabilitated. I totally understand. But stripping away more or less every basic freedom someone has because they did a crime, there's just something about that that isn't, to me, isn't just. Like, taking everything away. Yeah. I mean... Like, there are definitely some cases. Like, for him, yeah, he murdered people. Yes. But for a lot of people in prison, you know, someone who's in jail for, you know, not, like, fucking not paying parking tickets. I don't know. So and they think, should have, like, McDonald's Mondays? Or, no, like... <laughs> no, I don't know. I just... I think my biggest issue goes more along with the length that a lot of these sentences are, but then the long-lasting impacts afterwards. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's... Even, like, what we would think of as a short sentence of something like five years. Like, that's, yeah, a short... That's five years of your life that you're, like, in prison. Like... Yeah. That's... To me, that's just insane. That getting five years in jail is easy. Like, I think you can... Uh, fucking, like, pirating movies can do, like, five years in jail, according to that little... <laughs> that little FBI warning at the beginning of the yeah movies. Or just shit like that. You're, like, sitting at the lunch table in prison, and you're going around the circle. Because this is what prisoners do. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, everyone's saying what they did. And it's, like, yeah, you know, I killed my mama. And so this guy's, like, oh, yeah, I killed my girlfriend. Like, oh, my God, sisters. And then this guy's, like, oh, well, I'm in here because, you know, money laundering. Well, what'd you do? Well, I really fucking wanted to watch Pirates of the Caribbean. And so I pirated that movie, and they fucking found me. But then all the killers are like, oh, shit, that dude's dangerous. That's that's <laughs> fucking... Those Hollywood executives work hard for that. We need to... No, that's fucked up, dude. They go sit at a different table. <laughs> that's how I Except imagine. really, they're actually like, but do you still have it? Because I really, really, really want to see Captain Jack Sparrow. Like, you know, because he's hot. Like, why would they want to see him? And he's like, nah... They, they wasn't took done my downloading USB. it. They took my uh, USB. All I got left is Speed 2. The one with the boat. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, no, we're good. Thanks. So, <laughs> some of the authorities that interacted with Henry during his time say that he did demonstrate some knowledge of certain crimes that what they thought only the killer would have known. Was one... it the killer would know or it was like... It's just very intuitive. Well, one Texas ranger recounted that he, him effortlessly leading them through a forest to a deer park where a murder occurred. And another said he saw Henry navigate a crime scene as confidently as if he'd been there before. Uh, so there's just... Mm, okay. But it sounds like it's a lot of like up to your interpretation kind of things. Yeah, yeah. So Henry remained convicted of 11 homicides and he had actually been sentenced to death for one of them, oh. um, which was the an unidentified woman named or who was dubbed as Orange Socks. Yeah. So Orange Socks was a young woman who was aged somewhere between fifteen and thirty, who was murdered on October thirty first, nineteen seventy nine, uh-huh. in Georgetown, Texas. Oh shit! Which is like ten miles north of us. Yep. Um, 
She had been strangled and her body was found naked except for a pair of orange socks, which is where they get the oh name. God. So even though the court in his trial for this case heard that on that date, a timesheet had recorded his presence at work in Jacksonville, Florida, they still gave him the death penalty. Well, I mean, I think you can cheat a timesheet pretty easily. Well, yeah. So he was actually granted a stay on his death sentence after telling a hearing that the details in his confession came from the case file, uh, which he'd been given to read. And oh, so that's he got how to... we knew the details in his confession for the Orange Sox murder. Yeah. Yeah, so some mm, uh, things going on. Yeah. So his sentence was commuted to life, or his sentence was commuted to life in prison in '98 by then Governor George W. Bush. So on March 12th, 2001, at 11 p.m., uh, Henry was found dead in prison from heart failure at the age of 64. Oh goodness. Um. So he is buried at Captain Joe Bird Cemetery in Huntsville, Texas. And as of 2012... Fucking Huntsville. Fucking Huntsville. Man. Just as like... of 2012, uh, his grave is unmarked due to vandalism and theft. Oh. Um, Wait, and... people like bil- stealing the gravestone? I think so, yeah. Huh. So, though he was convicted of 11 murders, he ultimately confessed to over 3,000. Oh my god. Henry, yeah. come on. I know. Like, what the fuck? But it's... I wonder... Also, how does he know about that many? For real, though, I don't know about 3,000, and we do a podcast about this. And he's, like, in prison and knows about them all. I wonder how many of the cases that he confessed to, he actually did. And I wonder how many of those he was convicted of, he actually didn't do. Yeah. So. Never know. That's crazy. Yeah. On that note, I think I'm just going to jump right into my case. Do it. Okay. So, My Mommy Issues Murder Mm -hmm. is probably one of the top mommy issues. Um, Ed Kemper. Yeah. Co-ed killer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm bringing up the big guns for this episode. I know. You know. Because you need a win. I need a win. And also, I don't know what this is about to sound like, but this is one of my favorite serial killers. He's definitely number two behind Dahmer. Because it's so fascinating. And a lot of it has to do with the mommy issues. Okay. So, Edmund Emil Kemper III was born in... (laughs) Yes, he is the third. Uh, He was born in Burbank, California on December 18th, 1948. He was the middle child and the only son born to Claire Nail, Elizabeth Kemper... And oh. Edmund Emil Camper the second, yeah, Claire Nell is his mama's name, which I'm okay. saying that is a pretty intense name, and she's a pretty intense woman. Okay. <laughs> so his dad was a World War II vet who, after the war, tested nuclear weapons uh, before returning to California, where he worked as an electrician. Okay. And Claire Nell. Like step back, but. It, well, and that's how Claire Nell felt. Um, she often complained about his menial electrician job, and, um, he's, he later said that suicide missions in wartime and the atomic bomb testings were nothing compared to living with her. So, Shit. Okay. She, she was, 
She was a bit of a difficult woman. So she doesn't sound very pleasant. Yeah. So Ed, um, I was about to say our Ed, Ed the Third. He was a big guy. Um, he was thirteen pounds when he was born. Fuck. And so their poor mom. <laughs> Her poor vagina. And she never let him forget it. Honestly, I get that. Um, he was always much taller than his peers, and he like just towered over them like by a foot when he Jesus. was in school. Like always. He was so much taller. He was also highly intelligent. So mm-hmm. he was very, very smart, awkward, tall kid. When he was ten he displayed behaviors of cruelty to animals. Sorry, for some reason I can't say the word right now. (laughs) Um, He buried the family's pet cat alive. Jesus. Once it died, he dug it back up, decapitated it, and mounted its head on a spike. What the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Willow, don't listen to this. She is looking over here, and she is so fucking disturbed. Yes. She's like, wait, you don't do kitty murders, please? No, I was okay with... Just, no. Is is she she a Southern Belle? She... Yeah, she's born in Texas. She is a Southern girl. Okay. So, um... He later stated that he derived pleasure from successfully lying to his family about killing the cat. Um, um, how do you lie to your family about... They're like, Ed! His head is <laughs> on a spike! Like... You did it! Yeah, like, I, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Um, he later killed another of the family cats oh when God. he perceived that it favored his younger sister, Alan, A-L-L-Y-N, more than him. Hey, they should stop getting cats. He kept pieces of it in his closet until his mom found them. Fuck. Okay. Um, Kimber had a pretty dark fantasy life. He would perform rituals with his younger sister's dolls that um, involved him removing their heads, removing their hands. Uh, so more than this decapitation fascination. Damn. Um, he would also do really odd things like take his father's bayonet, go to his second grade teacher's house to watch her through the window. Why does he need a bayonet for that? I don't know. Okay. I don't know what his thoughts were. But That's really fucking weird. You know, in it's, Also, how do you know where she lives? I don't know where any of my teachers live. I didn't either, but he's probably for reasons like this. Yeah, exactly. He would play some really disturbing games as a child, such as gas chamber and electric chair, in which he would ask his younger sister to tie him up, flip an imaginary switch, and then he would tumble over and rise in the chair as if he were being uh, electrocuted or dying of gas inhalation. Okay. He also had a few near-death experiences as a child. There was one time when his older sister tried to push him in front of front of a train. Oh my god. <laughs> Which is not really a fun game to play as a kid. I'm glad you've never pushed me in front of a train. No. Or even thought of anything that fucking intense. Uh, we don't even walk anywhere near railroad tracks. I'm scared no. of them even when trains don't drive on them. Oh, have you never done the quarter thing? What? Where you put a quarter on train tracks and then the train goes over it and it flattens it? Like, you're obviously not near them. You put it when there's no train, and then and you go, go away. And, no. and Oh. No. Train oh. tracks are scary, man. Have you ever seen Fried Green Tomatoes? Scared no. me of trains forever. 
Well, you need to go see it. Add it to your list. God damn it. Okay. <laughs> um, another time, his older sister pushed him into the deep end of a swimming pool and he almost drowned. Oh. He, he had a close relationship with his father. And when his parents separated in 1957, he was absolutely devastated. Yeah. Um, he lived with his mom, Claire Nell, in Montana. And he had, it's just a very dysfunctional relationship. She was neurotic, domineering, she was an alcoholic, frequently belittling, humiliating, and abusing him. Mm. Um, Clarinelle often made her son sleep in a locked basement because she, she was afraid that he would harm his sisters or try to touch them or rape them or... What gets me about a lot of this stuff about... Because a lot of our cases, just in general, involve a lot of, like, child abuse and stuff. Yeah. And yeah. how someone can, like, in their mind, make that okay to do stuff like that. It, I don't understand, like, how how either. you can reason that with yourself as, like, this is an okay thing to do. No, I, I can't either. And, um... It, it's clearly something that affects that child in their adult life. Absolutely. And when we talk about cases that happened many, many, many years ago before there were opportunities for these people to seek help, mm-hmm. it's, I mean, like, I'm not, I am not trying to say that everyone who is involved in some type of abuse in their life is going to end up doing crime or something like that. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, like, without the ability to have proper help for Mm -hmm. these things, and and just even just a therapist to talk to, that... Well, just to develop those good coping mechanisms. Yes, and not bad coping mechanisms. Yeah. Because that's, that's... I'm glad you brought that up. That's a great point of how you overcome some of these tragedies that unfortunately people experience in life well and it just it blows my mind because you'll hear a lot of and it's generally a lot of older people talk about like oh kids today are so soft you know if i did that my dad would have beaten me so hard and i'm like that's that's not okay like that's not a defense like why are you bringing that up like why like they'll they'll talk fondly about like oh i spoke up and i got backhanded across the face and had a bruise for weeks. Like, that's not okay. I don't know why you think it is. No. <sighs> yeah, any, yeah. No, it's very much not. Very much not. Um, and uh, back into more how Ed yeah. was affected by all of this behavior. Um, his mom would regularly mock him for his large size. By the time he was 15, he was 6'4". And um, she just always called him a real weirdo. Because he was tall? Yep. But be- being tall is not weird. Well, she tried to make him feel that it was. Um, she told him that he reminded her of his father and that no woman would ever love him. Jesus. Um, so Kemper later described her as a sick, angry woman. And it's been postulated that she suffered from borderline personality disorder for a lot of these behaviors that she's dishing out. Yeah. And I, I could see that. And that's, 
another thing that I'm glad with we have so much more advances and just more knowledge and more it's still not accepted but it's more accepted now to reach out for help because I it should be 110% accepted and it makes uh, me so mad that it's not exactly but I just wonder if this was everyone can benefit everyone can benefit from some type of therapy someone to talk to seeing a psychiatrist seeing a psychologist just want to put that out there like absolutely every single person in this world can benefit from that 100% absolutely I just wonder if this took place today you know she would have probably had a much better chance of one of her friends reaching out and being like hey you Claire know now stop you know like come on I think you need to speak to someone or like I think you need to go to the doctor or fuck one of Ed's friends being like Ed you know, you should maybe go to the police. This isn't okay that your mom's treating you like this or whatever. That's true. And this could have been averted. What's about to happen next? Yeah, well, and that's part of this case that makes me... I am so fascinated with it because of some of the things I'll get into later, but just how smart it is. And when you see him in an interview... It's weird because he's saying one thing, but he's so calm and so forthcoming, and he seems like a great guy. Mm -hmm. Then later, when I get into what he did, it's like, Ed, how the fuck did you do this? And um, he is actually one of the people, one of the killers that John Douglas interviewed multiple times to develop FBI crime profiling. Like, Ed was... Again, I'll get into this, but he was a friend of the cops. Like, he knew all the policemen, and um, he's just very friendly, very willing to open up. And when you see these interviews that he did, some of the things that he said are, like, in this calm voice, he's saying, like, the most fucked up thing that could come out of someone's mouth. But he's just like, I'll chill. I'm like, you know, it is who it is. I've accepted who I am. I've accepted what I did. da 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 and that's one of the things in Mindhunter, which is on Netflix, mm-hmm. they took some of these interviews and it created the dialogue for that show. And the actor who played Ed Kemper, which I apologize, I don't know his name off the top of my head, but um, he just got the character to a T. It was phenomenal acting. And it's just crazy. And it, yeah. it's just to learn that, you know, thankfully... I will say, thankfully, there was a killer as willing to communicate and open up as Ed was to the FBI so we could determine some of the ways to help prevent crimes like this happening and to to solve crimes that have already happened. Yeah. Um, But yeah, Ed's, again, like I said, I'm clearly very fascinated with this case. Yeah. No, I can tell. He's just... Let me get into more as you open the second bottle i'm going to tell you a little bit more about ed okay um when he was 15 years old he ran away from ran away from home um in in an attempt to reconcile with his father in los angeles once he was there he learned that his dad had remarried and had a stepson he stayed with his dad for just a little while until his dad sent him to live with his grandparents so his paternal grandparents okay uh, Maude and Edmund Kemper. So, Edmund the first. Okay. They lived on a ranch in the mountains of Northfolk. And Ed, our Ed, 
hated living there. Oh. He referred to his grandfather as senile. He stated that his grandmother was constantly emasculating him and his grandfather. Jesus. So and sounds like uh, Ed too married someone very similar to his own mother. Uh, quite possibly. Quite possibly. Well, dang. Well. <laughs> I mean, that cork didn't break. It didn't break. It might have broken my eardrum, but... (laughs) It was really in there. Oh, my God. I'm going to... I'm really curious to see how, like, big that spike is on the recording. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but it's a cool cork. It is. There's a globe on it. I like it. So, he hated living with them. Yeah. Um, On August 27th, 1964... His grandmother was sitting at the kitchen table when she and Ed just got into an argument. Um, Ed the third. Ed child Ed. Okay. Yep. Um, Ed was just enraged by this argument. He stormed off, grabbed a rifle from his grandfather's... Um, that is... Blah, blah, blah. Ed was enraged by this argument. Mm-hmm. Stormed off, grabbed the rifle that his grandfather had given him for hunting. Oh. Comes back back to the kitchen and when his grandmother Maud told him you know not to go shooting some birds or whatever he was gonna fucking do after this argument he fatally fatally shot her in the head and then fired twice into her back just to make sure she's dead Jesus fuck Um, how old is he at this point 15 Jesus some accounts allege that Maud Additionally, suffered some post-mortem stab wounds uh, with a kitchen knife. So, after the shooting and the stabbing, he dragged her body out of the kitchen and into her bedroom. Where's Grandpa? We're about to get okay. there. Okay. Uh, when his grandfather came home from grocery shopping, he, Kemper, went outside and fatally shot him in the driveway. Jesus. He, he didn't want his grandfather to see his grandmother dead. So the solution to that was to kill him as well. Uh, I get what you mean, but probably wrong way to go about it. Yeah. Well, after he killed both of his grandparents, he didn't know what to do. And so he called his mom. And his mom's like, you need to call the fucking police. So, I mean, Claire now had a, you know. A little bit little, of sense. A little bit of sense in her. Um, Ed called the police and he waited for waited for the cops to come and take him into custody. He, he yeah. knew what he had done as well. Um and when authorities questioned him, you know, why did you do this? He just said he wanted to see what it felt like to kill Grandma. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, and again, he that's when he told him that he killed his grandfather because he didn't want him to see his wife dead. Yeah. His crimes were deemed as uh, incomprehensible for a 15-year-old to commit. Yeah. And the court psychiatrist diagnosed him as suffering from paranoid schizophrenia. And they sent him to the criminally insane unit of the Atascadero State Hospital. Mm. Out of Atascadero, the California Youth Authority psychiatrists and social workers strongly disagreed with the court psychiatrist's diagnosis about him being a paranoid schizophrenic. Or about par- him having paranoia, paranoid schizophrenia. Good lord. Got it yeah. out. Um, their report stated that Kemper showed no flight of ideas, no interference with thought, no expression of delusions or hallucinations, and no evidence of bizarre thinking. He was. It was recorded that he had an IQ of 136, 
Oh, wow. Um, and he was actually re-diagnosed and stated as having a personality trait disturbance, passive-aggressive type. So that was his new diagnosis. Okay. Um, later on at his time at Atascadero, he was tested again and had a higher IQ of 145. So he was a genius. Wow. Okay. Um, Kimber, he endeared himself to his psychiatrist. He was a model prisoner. Um, he ended up being trained to administer psychiatric tests to other inmates. Oh, and okay. he he later stated that being able to understand how the test functioned allowed him to manipulate his psychiatrist and um but see that right there he's like manipulating the test like maybe he'll show them he's smarter but he's already so smart to think of that i know like he's a fucking genius yeah. and he ended up learning a lot from the sex offenders whom he was administering these tests to uh, for example, they told him that it was best to kill a woman after raping her to avoid leaving any witnesses. Jesus. I know. So, on December 18th, 1969, his 21st birthday. That's when we went to the moon. In, the, in 69, not. Oh, I was like, day. on that day? <laughs> no, it was like July something. Yeah. Uh, well, that's when he was released on parole. And um, against the recommendations of psychiatrists at the hospital, he was released to the the care of his mom, Clarinell. Um, and at this time, she worked as an administrative assistant at the University of California, Santa Cruz. Okay. Um, he she later... She sounds like someone I would have hated to work with as an administrative assistant. Yeah, no, she sounds like the worst. would be like, oh my god, Clarnell, I hate you. Yeah. Well... <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's all I would say to her. I hate you. I just want you to know. <laughs> I walk in the morning. I'm like, hey, Debbie. Hey, John. Hey, Fuck Marcus. Clarnell, go to hell. Hey, Abby. Um, I work in a big office, apparently. Yeah, you do. Big office at whatever college you're working Santa in. An Cruz, admin office at? I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm you not an admin. College. I don't know. <laughs> um, Kimber later demonstrated further to a psychiatrist that he was completely re- rehabilitated and on November 29th, 1972, his juvenile records were permanently expunged. So the okay. murder of his grandparents wow. was expunged. Okay. Um, while he was staying with his mom, he attended a community college in accordance with his parole requirements. And so he's like 18 now. He was 21. 21. Okay. He's 21. So he's going to community college and in accordance to his parole requirements, he hoped he would become a police officer. That's what he wanted to do. Okay. However, because of his size, he was rejected. At the time of his release, when he was 21 years old, he stood 6'9". And you can't be 6'9 and be a cop? Guess not. I feel like they would want a taller, bigger guy. Like, I don't know. I feel like he could run quicker. He got that bigger stride. Um, I actually think it's maybe the opposite. I mean, he's a larger... Larger as in very tall, like maybe he can't move as fast, maybe he's not as agile, and maybe he can't hide, can't go through small space. I mean, I don't know, but because of his height, because of his enormous height, he he was denied. Oh. Um, he, He did maintain his relationships with the Santa Cruz police officers, despite his rejection to join the force, Mm-hmm. And he um, he was self-described as a friendly nuance uh, at this bar called The Jury Room. 
Okay. It was like this popular hangout for law enforcement. And he would go and chat it up with the cops. He was so you wanted to hook up with a cop. Like, that's where you go. Yeah, you would go to the jury room. Which also, I kind of just love it. Yeah. That that's where they went. Because it's clearly what it was meant for. Yeah. Like, Google's Austin jury room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you want to be the cop. Um, Ed worked a series of menial jobs before he was able to secure employment with the state of California Highway Department. So, um... He's working with the highway department, and his relationship with his mom, Clarnell, was just toxic, hostile, and they frequently had arguments, which neighbors often overheard, so loud arguments. Yeah. Um, Kimber later described the arguments he had with his mom around this time, stating, My mother and I started in on horrendous battles, just horrible battles, violent and vicious. I've never been in such a vicious verbal battle with anyone. It would go into fists with a man, but this was my mother, and I couldn't stand the thought of my mother and I doing these things. She insisted on it, and just over stupid things. I remember one roof razor was over whether I should have my teeth cleaned. Really? Yeah. So they would just have all-out screaming fights over just menial day-to-day things. Damn, okay. Um, as soon as Ed had saved up enough money, he moved out to live with a friend. Um, yeah. Same. I would do the same. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but he he still complained of being unable to get away from his mom. He She would regularly phone him, pay him surprise visits. And at the same time, Ed was broke and he had, kept having to go back to her for things that he needed. Yeah. Um. By the time that he was working for the highway department, so he's around like, you know, 22-ish probably, he started dating a 16-year-old from the Turlock High School, which... Fuck! That he, is too young. Yeah, well, he later became engaged to her. Oh my god. Um, During this time, he was also hit by a car while on his motorcycle. Oh. He had recently purchased this motorcycle, he gets hit by a car... Um, his arm was badly injured, but he ended up receiving a $15,000 settlement in a civil suit that he filed against the car's driver. And he got a 1969 Ford Galaxy, bright yellow, with his settlement money. Okay. A bright um, yellow. Yep, bright yellow. So, not oh. hiding anywhere. Yeah. But during this time, he noticed that there were a lot of women hitchhiking. And he started to store tools, including plastic bags, knives, blankets, and handcuffs in the trunk of his car. Um, And he, you know, he's having these murderous desires, which is why he started collecting these things. And he just put them in there just to, you know, in case the opportunity arose. He would pick up girls and peacefully let them go. And according to him, he picked up around 150 hitchhikers before he started acting on these homicidal urges that he was having. On May 7th, 1972, he was driving to Berkeley when he picked up two 18-year-old hitchhiking Fresno State students, Marianne Pesk and Anita Mary Luchessa, um, on the pretext that he was going to take them to Stanford. After driving for about an hour... He managed to reach a secluded wooded area near Alameda, and he's familiar with this because he worked on the highway department. 
And um, he was able to get there without alerting his passengers that he had changed directions. Like, he just knew the area so well, probably chatting it up with them. They didn't realize he diverted from where they wanted to go. So, he intended to rape these girls, Mm -hmm. but... He remembered what he learned from the serial rapist at um, Atascadero, that you shouldn't leave any witnesses. Mm. Um, instead, he handcuffed Marianne and locked Anita in the trunk before stabbing and strangling Marianne to death and killing Anita uh, in a similar manner. So he just Jesus. he just separated them, these two probably best friends. Which, like, she's in the trunk. It's not like she couldn't hear what was happening. He later confessed that while handcuffing Marianne, he accidentally brushed the back of his hand um, on one of her breasts, and he was embarrassed by that. And he added, you know, oh, whoops, or I'm I'm sorry, or something like that, even though he was literally about to kill her. What the fuck? Yeah. And Um, he planned to rape her. Yeah. But, okay. And later, he put both of the women's bodies in the trunk of his Ford Galaxy and returned to his apartment. On his way there, he was stopped by a police officer for having a broken taillight. But he managed to not be detected for the more serious offenses. So, literally, he gets pulled over. He's got two dead bodies in the back of his, in oh, his trunk. Oh, my God. And he smoothes the cop. And, like, he's like, oh, yeah, of course, I'll, I'll get the taillight changed. Like, what up? Um, his roommate wasn't home, so he took the bodies into his apartment. He took lots of pornographic photos of them, had sex with both of the dead bodies, and um, then dismembered them. Jesus. He put all their body parts into plastic bags, which he later abandoned near Loma Prieta Mountain, uh, before he disposed of both of their severed heads in a ravine. So bodies Jesus. one place, heads in another. Um... Before he got rid of the heads, he engaged in irimatio with both of them, which is where you have sex with the mouth. So it's it's the opposite of a blowjob because the, the man is forcing his penis into the mouth and using it as a sexual hole. Jesus, okay. So he does that with their severed, severed heads. heads. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Um, in August, Marianne's skull was found on Loma Prieta Mountain. And an extensive search failed to turn up the rest of her remains or any trace of her friend Anita. Jesus. Second murder. Um, so just a few months later, that first one happened in May. So now we're in September, September 14th of 1972. Ed picked up 15-year-old Korean dance student, student Akio Ku, who had decided to hitchhike after her dance class because she missed the bus. Mm-hmm. Um, he drove her again to a remote area, pulled out a gun before accidentally locking himself out of his car. However, Ku let him back inside. He Why? Had, he had gained her trust while holding her at gunpoint because that is how smooth and talkative uh, and convincing Ed was. Oh again, God. fucking genius we're dealing with here. Um, He proceeded to choke her unconscious, rape her, and kill her. Uh, He subsequently packed her body into the trunk of his car, had a few drinks at a nearby bar. After he left the bar, he went back to his car, 
opened his trunk to admire his catch like a fisherman. Jesus. In the fucking parking lot of this bar. And um, he then returned to his apartment. Back at his apartment, he had sex with the corpse before dismembering it and disposing of her remains in a similar manner as the previous two victims. Does no one see him taking these bodies into his apartment? Clearly not. Jesus. Akio's mother called the police to report her disappearance and put up hundreds of flyers asking for information of her whereabouts, but she never received any responses regarding her daughter's uh, location or status. On January 7th, 1973, so we're now, we go from September to January, Ed, who had at this point moved back into his mom's home with her, okay, was driving around Cabrillo College campus when he picked up 18-year-old student Cindy Shaw. He drove to a sequestered wooded area and fatally shot her with a 22 caliber pistol. Jesus. Whatever happened to the 16-year-old he was engaged to? I the, the engagement clearly didn't yeah. happen. Okay. Um, yeah, I didn't see anything uh, about that, but Ed's yeah. not married. Yeah, <laughs> he's living with his mom right now. Um, after he killed Cindy, he placed her body in the trunk of his car, drove to his mom's house, where he kept his her body hidden in a closet in his room overnight. The next day, when mm. his mom left for work, he had sex with her body. Removed the bullet, so there's no evidence. Dismembered it, decapitated it in his mom's tub. Jesus. This time, he kept the severed head for several days. And he would regularly engage in um, irrematio with it. Before eventually, he buried it in his mother's garden, facing upward towards her window in her bedroom. That's fucking creepy. He later remarked that his mother always wanted people to look up to her. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. He discarded the rest of her remains by throwing them off a cliff. Oh, okay. Um, And over the course of the following weeks, all but her head and right hand were discovered. And so there's this puzzle, like this macabre jigsaw puzzle that's being put together. Yeah. Police and a pathologist determined that her body had been hacked and then cut into pieces with a power saw. Fuck. In February, on February 5th of 1973, after a heated argument with his mom, Kemper left the house in search of possible victims because he's, he's just so enraged, so, ugh, with his mom. Um, there was this heightened suspicion of, obviously, a serial killer that was preying on hitchhikers in the Santa Cruz area. And yeah. students at the University of Santa Cruz, University of California in Santa Cruz, were urged to only get into cars that had university stickers on them. Well, if you remember, Ed's mom worked at that university, so he had a fucking sticker. He encountered 23-year-old Rosalind Heather Thorpe and 20-year-old Allison Liu on the UCSD campus, um, according to Kemper, Thorpe entered his car first, which reassured Lou to also enter the car. He then fatally shot Thorpe and Lou with his 22 caliber pistol and wrapped their bodies into blankets. God. Yep. Um, I think I read something that said he 
got pulled over again at this time and like one of the bodies is in a blanket in his back seat and one's in a blanket in the front seat and like he still gets away with it Jesus. um and another part that i don't know what i don't know what the right time to say this is so i'm just gonna use it now so obviously you know he's dismembering these bodies yeah and at one point he goes to an appointment with a psychiatrist and again he's you know in the process of convincing them them that he is completely okay he's a genius and he knows like the background of all of these things and what to say and what to do yeah and so he's like you know having this jolly conversation with his psychiatrist all the while he's got a bag next to him with a fucking severed head in it what the fuck i don't remember which girl uh this head belonged to i i feel like from what i've read that it was um a coup but i'm not sure um, so he's got their bodies wrapped in blankets. He brought them back to his mother's house. This time he beheaded them in the car and carried the headless corpse into his mother's house to have sex with. Actually, maybe it was one of their heads since he left them in the car. Maybe one was in the bag. Um, he then, you know, after having sex with the beheaded bodies, dismembers them, removed the bullets again to prevent identification, and the next morning discarded their remains. Um, again, in a ravine. Yeah. Um, the remains were found at Eden Canyon a week after the murders, and more of those remains were found near the highway, in, uh, near Highway 1 in March. So he was getting rid of their dismembered pieces in different places. Jesus. Uh, later, when he was questioned as to why he removed the heads of these victims before having sex with them, he explained that um, head trip fantasies were a bit like a trophy so their heads were the trophy and the head is where everything is the brain the eyes the mouth and that's the person uh i remember being told as a kid you cut off the head and the body dies who the fuck said this to him as a kid i don't know yeah um the body is nothing after the head is cut off well that's not quite true there's a lot left in a girl's body without the head yeah it's a fucking that is freak. fucking gross yeah so the next murders on oh April 20th, 19... 19- so really, like, started murdering a lot more this year. Yes. In, in 72 and 73 is when he was active. Fuck. And this is, like I said, this was after he spent time picking up 150 different hitchhikers to kind of pin down how to gain people's trust, how to yeah. get them in his car, how to... You know, make himself seem innocent and trustworthy and, like, he had a lot of practice. Like, he was thinking about this for a long fucking time and then started acting. Yeah. So, April 20th, 1973, after she came home from a party, his mom, at this time 52 years old, Clarnell woke up her son when she got home. And Clarnell, like, gets ready for bed. She's sitting in bed reading a book and Kemper comes into the room. She looks at him and she goes, well, I suppose you're going to want to sit up all night and talk now. And he said, no, good night. He waited on her to fall asleep and returned to her room to bludgeon her with a claw hammer and slit her throat with a knife. Fuck. He then decapitated her and engaged in Aramatio with her severed head before he started using it as a dartboard. 
What the fuck? And the way he said it, he stated that he put her head on a shelf, screamed at it for an hour, threw darts at it, and ultimately smashed her face in. So clearly, he's got a lot of anger towards his mom. Uh, yeah. Uh, he then cut out her tongue and larynx and put them in the garbage disposal. However, the garbage disposal could not break down the tough vocal cords and ejected them back up into the sink. And he later said that seemed appropriate as much as she bitched and screamed and yelled at me over so many years. So it's kind of oh this odd, God. odd, oh, I don't, I'm looking for a word and I can't find it, but like her vocal cords like couldn't be destroyed. And so it's like, she's still screaming at him after death. God. Um, he then had sex with his mother's corpse, hid it in a closet and went out for a drink. When he got back, he invited his mom's best friend, 59-year-old Sally Hallett, over to the house for dinner and a movie. And when Hallett arrived, he strangled her to death, decapitated her, and spent the night with her dead body. Like, Jesus. laying in bed next to her. He later stuffed her corpse in the closet and, um, you know, in order to... He obscured any outward signs of a disturbance, left a note... He then stuffed her corpse into a closet, obscured any outward signs that a disturbance had happened in the home, and left a note for the police that read, Approximately 5.15 a.m. Saturday. No need for her to suffer anymore at the hands of this horrible, murderous butcher. It was quick, asleep, the way I wanted it. Not sloppy and incomplete, gents. Just a lack of time. I got things to do. He left this... Yeah, that's his note. It's really fucking weird. And, like, murderous butcher and lack of time are in quotes. And then at the end, like, things to do. It's like, exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. Okay. Yeah. So he left the scene in Hallett's car. So he stole her car. uh, Drove eastward, leaving California through Nevada and Utah. He arrived in Pueblo, Colorado. And after, like, not hearing any news on the radio about the murders of his mom and Hallett... He found a phone booth and called the police. He confessed to the murders of his mom and Hallett, but the police did not take this call seriously, and they, they told him to call back at a later time. Um, so several hours what later... The fuck? Yeah, I, I don't know. Several hours later, he called again, asking to speak to an officer he personally knew. And um, he confessed to the killing of his mother and Hallett, and... He sat in the car waiting for the police to arrive. And, of course, on these phone calls, like, again, he knows these cops. He's friends with them. They don't believe him. They think they're, like, he's, like, pulling their leg like, yeah. at a really inappropriate time. But eventually he was able to convince them that, no, like, I fucking did it. And so he waits on them to arrive, arrest him, and take him into custody. And once he was in custody, that is when he confessed to the murders of six students. So when you think about it, there's a possibility that if he had not turned himself in he may have never been caught yeah because he was very good at what he was doing yeah um later when the police they did arrest him and they asked him like what motivated him to turn himself in he said the original purpose was gone um and his murdering was not serving any physical or real or emotional purpose it was just a pure waste of time He said, emotionally, I couldn't handle it much longer. Towards the end there, I started feeling the folly of the whole damn thing. And at that point, 
of near exhaustion, near collapse. I just said to hell with it and called it all off. And okay. Yeah. So he turns himself in and he is put in prison like the life. Yeah. Um, in the California medical facility, he was incarcerated in the same prison block as other notorious criminals such as Herbert Mullen and Charles Manson. Okay. And Kipper showed particular disdain for Mullen, who had committed his murders at the same time in the Santa Cruz area as Kemper. So they were two serial killers that were like active at the exact same time. Um, he described Mullen, he being Kipper, described Mullen as a cold-blooded killer, killing everybody he saw for no good reason. And, and this is kind of why I didn't like this guy. He just killed to be killing. Okay. And, yeah. However, Kemper himself committed, commented, excuse me, blah, blah, blah. however, Kemper himself commented on his self-righteous talking like that about Mullen, um, considering what Ed had done. So he's like, oh, I'm being so self-righteous. I mean, I kind of did the same fucking thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, despite this concession, he still manipulated and physically intimidated Mullen. Because again, Ed's fucking 6'9". Yeah. Mullen is 5'7". Small guy. And Kipper stated that Mullen had this habit of singing and bothering people when someone tried to watch TV and um, Ed threw water on him to shut him up. And then he was a good boy. That's words. He would give him peanuts when he was being good. What the fuck? Yeah, because Herbie liked peanuts. And apparently this was effective because pretty soon uh, Herbert started asking permission from Ed to sing. So this is what is called behavior modification treatment. Mm-hmm. This is what Ed did to him. Like fucking Pavlov's dog. Yeah. Um, so it's like literally like such a fucking asshole. Um, as of 2018, as of this year, Camper remains among, among the general population in prison and is considered a model prisoner. So he's still in jail right now there in California. He's in charge of scheduling other inmates' appointments with psychiatrists and is an accomplished craftsman of ceramic cups. Okay. Also, very interesting fact, he's a prolific reader of books on tape for the blind. And a 1987 L.A. Times article stated that at the time he was a coordinator also of the prison's program uh, for the books on tape. And he had personally spent over 5,000 hours narrating books with several hundred completed recordings to his name. You can find these. They're literally books on tape. And he read them. Jesus. You can find them. Well, I also, at this point, I want 5,000 hours sounds like a lot, but it's kind of like, how much is that? A year of work, 40 hours a week for a year, is 2,080 hours. Yeah. So that's two and a half years of a full-time job just doing that. Yeah. I think, so when I found out he did the books on tape, this was a few months ago, I looked it up, and I think there's like a clip on YouTube or something of him just reading this book, because he has this very calm, he has a great reading voice. Yeah. Like, again, this is... It's so bizarre, but this is also why his interviews with John Douglas went so well. Just, again, so forthcoming, great speaking voice. Like, but yeah. you've got to remember, this guy 
manipulated his psychiatrist, manipulated police officers. He's a fucking monster. He's a monster. But he But he's a relatable monster. Unfortunately. Like, that's the... I think that's the horrifying part. Right. Is that a lot of these... I feel like a lot of the serial killers out there or that we research and stuff, like, you're like, oh, shit, yeah. If I saw them, I'd be like, stay the fuck away from me. You yeah. are not someone. Ed Kemper's the kind, seems like the kind of person who literally could have been your friend that you're like, oh, that's Ed, who was a prolific serial killer monster. Yeah, he was just very open to speaking with anyone. Um very relatable unfortunately but he did documentaries in the 80s one of them was the killing of america which i've watched that one highly recommended highly disturbing um, put it on the top of my list too yeah it's on i believe it's on amazon prime so you can watch it another one that he did was a documentary in 1984 called murder no apparent motive again he's he's not hiding he's yeah. there he's available like just chat him up he was first eligible for parole in 1979, and he was denied, mm-hmm. as well as denied again in 1980, 1981, and 1982. And then he started waiving his right to the parole hearing in mm-hmm. 85, 88, 91, 94, 97, and 2002, and 2007. He denied his right for parole. Okay. So, like, he knows what he did is wrong. Yeah. And um, he just told the pro board that he was not fit to return to society. And in the 2007 hearing, attorney Scott Curry relayed that Kemper had said um, he believes that no one is going to grant him parole and that he is happy to go about his life in prison. Uh, he waived his right again to hearing in 2012 and stipulated that he was uninterested in attending a hearing in 2017. So in July 2017, just as a procedural process, mm-hmm. he was denied parole. He didn't even show up to the hearing. He was denied. And he's next eligible in 2024. So I guess parole, it sounds like it like it starts yearly and then goes yeah, more at least, and more. At least like, in his case. Yeah, because it's like three years in between for a while and then like five years in between for a while and now it's so yeah hmm. exactly um he has also stated in multiple interviews that he would you know when he was going out hunting for his victims it was after his mother's outburst towards him yeah and um his mom also during you know she would never introduce him to any women that attended the university she worked at because she would say that you're just like your father, you don't deserve to know them, and she was worried that he would do things to them. Like again, the same thing, like locking him in the basement with his sister. Yeah. She didn't want him to know any of the students that were at the university she worked at. So psychiatrists and Kemper himself believe that these young women that he killed were surrogates for his ultimate target which was his mom. Yeah. And that all the humiliating things that he committed to his mom's corpse really support that hypothesis. Yeah. So it was once he killed his mother, that was his ultimate goal. And that's why he stopped. That's why he just turned himself in because there was no, no more reason behind his killing. Yeah. Well, then why did he kill his, because he killed his mom's friend after. 
I mean, I'm but, sure yeah. that, unfortunately, maybe Sally was involved in some type of memories uh, in his past, yeah. or just another way to hurt his mom and, like, a big fuck you to her. Yeah. But I think he ended up burying a, more than one of the heads, like, looking up to her window. And, yeah. like, that, to me, is one of the most, I mean, it's all insanely fucked up. But that is one of these super, super fucked up parts that is showing clearly his mother, her treatment, everything uh-huh. that went on in his childhood ended up, you know, with Ed being who he was and killing these people. And, like, yeah. he is one of the most terrifying type of people. Because mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of serial killers out there, or were, or whatever, probably not in the future, but that are just... It's like a... I'm trying to, like, find my words. It's like a different type of mental thing. Because there's a lot of killers who, whose killings are attributed to a mental disturbance or mental disability or yeah. something going on. With Ed, it was almost the other side of the spectrum. Like, he was so fucking highly intelligent. Clearly had a mental disturbance, but was fully aware of what he was doing and why he was doing it. Yeah. He's terrifying because he's so smart. Yeah. And he could talk his way out of anything. And I am telling you, you should watch some of these interviews with him because it's literally like you're just watching fucking, like, Conan. And, I mean, minus the laughing. Mm. But just, you know, like, oh, okay, well, it's just an interview with someone. And then you think about all the things that he fucking did. Yeah. And then some of the things he say, says just, like, off the cuff. It's, it's a fucking monster. Ed's a fucking monster. Uh, yeah. I guess launched into the postmortem. I mean, you won. Like, I... <laughs> you won. So... I mean, your guy was also seriously fucked up. He's really Lucas. But Ed yeah. takes the cake. Yeah, he does. I mean, I... Yeah. Did you know that much about Ed Kimber before no, I... No, uh... I knew very, very little. I knew that... Burying the heads looking up to mom because you've told me that. I know, because like I said, that is literally, as I perceive, one of the most fucked up things about this case. Yeah. Um, But but seriously, though, for those of y'all who have not either read Mindhunter or watched the show on Netflix, you've got to. Because that was part of, um, like, I had already, I knew who Ed Kemper was. I knew what he had done. But that was when I learned some of the things he said. Them taking what he said in interviews and putting them in the scripts yeah. and like seeing it acted out. Ugh, oh, eerie. absolutely. Eerie as fuck. But yeah, so this is a pretty long episode and it is. we should probably close it probably out. Probably at this point. Um, you know, you won, so I'll be picking the topic next time. And You're... I'm finally going to pick the wine. Yeah, I think I won three episodes in a row. Yeah, I think you did. That? Yeah. I think you did. So it was a nice streak, but uh, you when you said you were going to pull out the big guns for this, you were not kidding. I was not kidding. So, okay. <laughs> well, with that, um, thank you all so much for tuning in and listening. Yeah, and don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. It's really going to help us jump up in those rankings. You're going to be able to find us easier. Yes. Like, please rate and review. We want to hear what you think. We mm-hmm. want to know what we can improve. We want to know what you like. All the praise, positive things. Um, and then like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this was a pretty intense episode. Uh, and yes, it was. 
please hop onto our Facebook page and join the conversation. Mm -hmm. What did you think? Like, do you think we made the right decision? Is Ed Kemper worse than Henry Lee Lucas? Yeah, or... I mean, yes. I mean, if, <laughs> I I apologize. I I love and support all of our listeners, but Ed Kemper worse. Like, it's just yeah. But you know, well, let honestly, know. let's start the let's have the conversation going. So yeah, check it out. Talk to us. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, with that, XOXO, Blood and Wine. Blood and Wine signing off. Bye. Bye.